Turn your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, again, chapter 4. Our last Lucan sermon came from the early part of chapter 4. Now we find ourselves in the ending of the chapter. Luke chapter 4, we'll be looking at verses 14 through 30. Everything depends on this passage. This preacher, this sermon. Jesus is in his own hometown, Nazareth, where he spent his childhood growing up as a son of Mary and Joseph. As was his custom, as always, he enters the synagogue on the Sabbath. The attendant hands the rabbi Jesus, the teacher, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, and Jesus scrolls down to Isaiah 61 and reads, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and to set free those who are oppressed and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. He rolls up the scroll, hands it back to the attendant, and as was the custom of teachers in his day, he sat down and begins to teach. In verse 20, Luke builds the anticipation when he says, The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed upon him. What will this rabbi, this one who's been doing miracles in Capernaum, what will he have to say about this Messiah passage from Isaiah? The words that Jesus spoke could never be taken back. These are the words that change absolutely everything for everybody every day. Today, right now, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Why is this sermon in this synagogue such a big deal? Why has everything changed now that the rabbi made it clear that today is the day and he is the one? What exactly is Jesus saying? And how are they hearing it? And why the violent response trying to kill him at the end of the story? Let's begin this morning unpacking perhaps the most important episode in the whole Gospel of Luke. This passage sets the paradigm for all that will come to pass in Luke's Gospel. This rejection of Jesus by his own neighbors in Nazareth is a foreshadowing of the rejection he will receive in Jerusalem. Yet it will still be true. Today is the day. It is fulfilled. Well, let's look at verse 14. And Jesus returned to Galilee and the power of the Spirit and the news about him spread through all the surrounding district. Once again, Luke reminds us how the Holy Spirit is playing such a pivotal role in the life of the Messiah. In chapter 1, he had told us that Jesus had been conceived by the Holy Spirit. 
In chapter 3, he tells us at his baptism that he is anointed by the Holy Spirit. In our last Lucan sermon, he was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness for the hour of temptation, that showdown with Satan in the wilderness. Now, having previously faced conflict with Satan himself, now he's dueling with his neighbors in Nazareth. On this passage, he is indeed surrounded, empowered by the Holy Spirit. In our previous passage in Luke 4, 1 through 13, Jesus clearly aligned his own desires with the desires of God. And every time Satan tried to tempt him and get him to go another way other than the way of the cross, he said, no, my father's will be done. He aligns his purposes with the purposes of God and the obedience itself was proof positive that he is ready to be the Messiah. Look at verse 15. And he began teaching in their synagogues and was praised, glorified, you could translate, by all. Like churches today, synagogues in antiquity were more about the people than they were about the place. Thus, strictly speaking, a synagogue was a place where you read scripture, the scroll, like reading Isaiah this day in Nazareth, and you prayed and you discussed about the scriptures. They started out in houses, maybe a room that had been changed, modified so the group could gather, call it a synagogue. But as they had more resources, like churches started in houses, they began to build edifices, places where they could invite a whole community, a large group of gathering for scripture, teaching and prayer. And Luke lets us know here in verse 15, that he had been teaching in all the synagogues in Galilee. As we witness the ministry of Jesus through reading the New Testament, we realize that Jesus basically did three things, and we'll see all three things in this gospel. First of all, he taught. That's what he's doing here in this passage. One of the three things that Jesus did while on earth is he taught about the kingdom of God, the coming of the Messiah. The second thing he did was he healed. If you're blind, he might give you sight. If you were lame, he would allow you to leave. He taught and he healed. And thirdly, he cast out demons. If you were in bondage to the powers of darkness, in bondage to the sin of Satan, he would set you free. He taught, he healed, and he cast out demons. And we'll see all three in this gospel. Yet we don't receive a glimpse as of yet in this passage about what Jesus is teaching. We are told, look carefully there, in verse 15, he was glorified or praised by all. The word for praise there has at its root the the word doxa, which means glory. He was glorified. He taught in the synagogues in Galilee, and they glorified God for his powerful teachings. If you remember in Luke's gospel, that word glory or glorified has been used a lot already in these first four chapters. Remember back in Luke chapter 2 and verse 9. An angel of the Lord suddenly stood before the shepherds and the glory, the dokes of the Lord shone round about them. And they were terribly frightened. And suddenly the angel was joined by a heavenly chorus. Glory, there's our word again. Dokes to God in the highest. And on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. 
As God is glorified in the first three chapters of Luke, now Jesus is glorified too. You remember the shepherds, they went their own way in verse 20 of chapter 2, glorifying God and praising God for all they'd heard and seen. And then in chapter 2, the character Simeon, you remember that old man? He had been promised that he would not die until he himself had been in the presence of the Messiah, the Lord's anointed. And when he saw the baby Jesus, he took the baby in his arms and he declared, For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation of the Gentiles and the doxa, the glory, there's our word again, of your people Israel. While Simeon called this baby a light of revelation of the Gentiles, We'll soon see this inclusive language of including the Gentiles. It was a joy to others, and it was yet still resistance and anger for some. Glorifying. Doxa. And perhaps the the most powerful use of this word happens at the end of the story in Luke 23. When the centurion saw that indeed they had crucified the innocent son of God, he began, the one crucifying Jesus, began glorifying God. Maybe his use of praising Jesus here is a foreshadowing of the glory of the crucified Jesus at the end by the centurion. He saw him as the innocent son of God, Luke 23, 47. Verse 16, he came to Nazareth, that's his hometown, where he'd been brought up. And as he always did, as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and he stood up to read. Earlier in this gospel, Nazareth has already been mentioned as the hometown of Mary and Joseph. Now, Nazareth in the first century was a very small town, population between 100 and 400 people. Archaeological excavations tell us there were no paved streets. There were no public buildings or places to gather. There was no expensive pottery that they find in other sites of antiquity. Not Nazareth. It was a poor town for the poor people, and they had mud for their streets. The synagogue was a place for free exchange. It was Jesus' custom. He, He grew up going to the synagogue. It's also his custom as a teacher to read the scriptures and lead the discussion. And perhaps this message in this synagogue on this day is like many messages that Jesus had preached throughout Galilee. But now we get to hear this one. In verse 16, I want you to know that he stood up. At the end of verse 29, the people will rise up. They will stand up. A foreshadowing at the beginning of the story, the end of the story. Jesus stands up to read the scripture. At the end, they will rise up to cast him over the cliff. Jesus stands up to read. Look at verse 17. And the book that prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And he opened the book and he found the place where it is written. Perhaps a passage was chosen by Jesus. Maybe it was a sign reading of the day. It's hard to be sure, but you can imagine with a scroll how hard without versification or chapters like we find in our Bible, how hard it would be able to find a specific passage in a scroll as long as Isaiah. Isaiah was probably more than one scroll even. But Jesus knew God's word so well, he knew right where to go. 
in Isaiah. And Jesus begins to say in verse 18, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. To say the spirit is upon him is to say that he is more compelled than he is just indwelt. In fact, Isaiah himself had said in Isaiah 42, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. And he will bring forth justice to the nations, Isaiah 42.1. Yes, the spirit is upon him, just like Isaiah said the spirit would be upon the Messiah, the Holy One of Israel. Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one, he's upon him. And he begins to explain. He's here to bring good news to the poor. The poor in this passage represent not only those who are short on funds, but those who are excluded from the Jewish community. To put it plainly, they are the losers and the competitive race for resources in this life. They have no honor. They have no power, they have no position, they have no privilege. Not in their culture. They are the ones, the poor, who can only look to God and cry out for help. The clear designation of the poor reminds us of Jesus' Beatitudes when he says in Luke chapter 6, just two, two chapters ahead, Blessed are the poor. For yours is the kingdom of God. Some of Jesus' followers had left their homes and their livelihood in order to follow the rabbi. So the question is today, are you amongst the poor? Are you one who's been marginalized by society today? Someone here in this sanctuary, someone watching by live stream or television, are you pushed to the side by this world? Are you crying out for Messiah? to invite you in, to love you, and to recognize you. He directs the good news to those pushed to the margins of the community. Jesus indicates that he himself is refusing to recognize the boundaries of the old world. He will not recognize the boundaries of the old order. In his presence with the Messiah, all things are new, and those pushed out will now be invited in. Jesus has opened the door, invited the poor, the marginalized, the diminished into his community. Not only do the poor have the gospel preached to them, but also those who are imprisoned by sin, they are set free, released to the captives, now, the envision is not of Jesus going in with a key and unlocking jail doors, but rather the word release in Luke and Acts, both books written by Luke, is a word for forgiveness. We are bound, we are in bondage to sin. Those who are in bondage to sin, he will unlock you through his death. He will set you free. The chains of iniquity incarcerate sinners, and the noun release says Jesus is coming to set you free from your sin. The third group is the blind. Blindness, unfortunately, was common in Jesus' day. One of the repetitive healings that Jesus does is he gives sight to the blind. 
The blind could mean those who are physically blind or it could mean those who are spiritually blind. But to have your eyes opened in Luke's gospel is to see Jesus for who he is, the Messiah, the anointed one of Israel. Fast forward in your mind to those two disciples on the road to Emmaus. They're walking with the resurrected Christ and they don't know it. And he's teaching and he's talking and they do not realize who he is. And all of a sudden it says, their eyes are opened in Luke. And they see Jesus for who he is, the Messiah. Are you blind today? Do you need to see the Messiah? And finally, a repeat of the word release. Jesus has come to set free those who are downtrodden. It's really in the Greek text, a repetition of the word send and release. I've been sent to set free those who are in prison. And then verse 19 and 20, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and he gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And all the eyes in the synagogue were watching. What is he going to say about this passage? Why did he pick this one? To proclaim freedom, jubilee. About 20 years ago, I received the strangest phone call from the mortgage company. I, I glanced on the caller ID and saw the name of our mortgage company. I, I was intrigued. I, I knew, well, I thought Lisa was supposed to have all of our mortgage payments up to date. And so I answered the phone with a kind of a solid but reserved, kind of not sure tone in my voice. Hello, I said. Is Mr. Howard Batson there? Now, that's a clue they knew what they were doing. Usually the callers at dinner time say Bateson. Is Bateson there? It's not Bateson. It's like Batman, but Batson. Is Howard Batson there? Mr. Batson, she continued, are, are you sitting down? Uh-oh, do I, do I need to be sitting down? I said with a little trembling in my voice by now. Mr. Bassett, if you'll hang on the line, the president of the mortgage company would like to speak to you this evening. I reviewed everything in my mind that I could about our account. We had a 30-year loan. We had 25 years remaining. Well, he, Mr. Batson, you have 302 payments left on your mortgage. You owe us $127,000. You've made every payment on time. That was all true, so why the phone call? Mr. Batson, the reason I troubled you this evening is the board of directors met, and as is our custom, every 50 years, we select a few customers at random and we completely forgive their mortgage. Your debt is gone. Is this a joke? What's the catch? Who is this? I don't understand. I said, what are you talking about? Well, it's long been a policy of the bank that every 50 years, we forgive some people their entirety of their mortgage. And it's just at random. And we're, we're so glad to inform you that your debt has been forgiven. Congratulations, Mr. Batson. I did have wits enough to say, could you send that to me in writing? I'd like to get that in writing. She said, Mr. Batson, it was placed in the mail this morning. You should have it before the week is over. Thank you, I said. You have made my day. You have made my decade, I replied. Now that I think about it, that didn't really happen. <laughs> it was a daydream I had one time. A man can dream, you know. But could you imagine the feeling you would have at the mortgage company and said, called and said, hey, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Could you fathom the freedom of just having your debts wiped clean? 
Can you imagine the jubilation at the proclamation of your debts are forgiven? Now, while that didn't happen to me, it was supposed to happen in ancient Israel. The holiness code found in Leviticus 25, verses 6 through 10, one year out of seven was the Sabbath year. And after seven Sabbath years, after the 49th year, on the 50th year, all the debts of all the people were to be forgiven. They were to blow the ram's horn. At the sounding of the ram's horn, every 50 year, all debt was forgiven and the land was restored. That's the way it's supposed to be. All those in debtor's prison, they were supposed to unlock the doors and set them free. Don't worry about your debt. It's the year of Jubilee. You are free. It was a chance for a new start on life for the poor people. Those who had lost out on life's race had a chance to begin again as a point of hope. It was nothing less than the year of Jubilee. Yet the problem is there is no indication that it was ever observed. They were supposed to observe it. Leviticus tells them to observe it. God is holy and God is different. They're supposed to be different than the other countries. But ancient Israel never practiced jubilee. It never happened. But Isaiah 61 says, when the Messiah comes, jubilee will finally be proclaimed. So Jesus, that day in Nazareth with his neighbors, he blew the ram's horn for the first time in the history of ancient Israel. Listen to the trumpet blare. It is jubilee. If you are in debt, if you're enslaved to sin, you are free. If you are poor, I'll invite you in. Verse 21 is a powerful words. Today, this has been fulfilled in your hearing. Today is a day that Isaiah had longed for. The ram's horn has trumpeted. The Messiah is here. Today reminds me earlier in Luke's gospel when he said, to you is born today in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. Luke keeps telling us it's here. Today is the day. The Messiah is here. Today the savior is born. Today is Jubilee. But that plan doesn't match with the Jewish plan. The plan of Jewish privilege and status and keeping out the marginalized. And so they began to say to themselves in verse 22, they were speaking well of him and then it turns. What are these words falling from his lips? Verse 22, and then it turns. Hey, how can we listen to him? How can he make such claims? He's Joseph's son. Maybe even a question of his legitimacy in the word Joseph's son. And Jesus said to them, no doubt you will quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. Whatever we heard was done at Capernaum, do it here in your hometown as well. And Jesus said, truly, I said to you, no prophet is welcome in his own hometown. But I say to you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the sky was shut up for three years and six months. When the great famine came over all the land, yet Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath, to the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of Elijah, the prophet, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. In fact, Jesus is saying to them, 
even in the days of the prophets, even in the days of Elijah and Elisha, God sent help to those who were not of Israel. Yes, the kingdom is for the poor. It is for the outcast. It is for the leper. It is for the Gentile. It is the poor who are released the Jubilee. Verse 28, all those in the synagogue were filled with rage as they heard this message from Jesus and they rose up and cast him out of the city and led him to the brow of the hill on which their city had been built in order to throw him off the cliff. This is going to be a murder of the preacher. But by God's divine hand, verse 30, he passed through their midst. He went his way. He came to Capernaum. They were trying to push him out of town. They were trying to push him over the cliff. They didn't miss his words. He said, Messiah says, Isaiah says, when the Messiah comes, the, the blind will see. Isaiah says, when the Messiah comes, the poor will have a new start. Isaiah says, when the Messiah comes, those who are in bondage to sin will be set free. It's the year of Jubilee. I'm here today. It begins. He's saying he's the Messiah. That's just Joseph's boy. We know there's some questions about how that got started anyway. They rise up and they're ready to throw him over the hill and stone him. And God allows him mysteriously to walk through their midst because his time had not yet come. Maybe you're here this morning and you need to hear that today's that someday. Maybe you're here this morning and you need to hear Jubilee. Are you marginalized? Do you need to hear Jubilee? Are you enslaved to sin? Do you need to hear Jubilee? Are you cast down? Do you need to hear Jubilee? Are you blind and cannot see? Do you need to hear Jubilee? Today, today, he's here. It's Jubilee. Welcome forgiveness and family of God. Let's pray. Oh God, there's someone watching on television or someone live streaming and they are pushed to the margins of life and they need to hear the Messiah has come and he's here today and it is Jubilee. Forgiveness and welcome and sight are theirs to see Jesus for who he is. Maybe there's some here in this room or, or some watching who need to profess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that this would be her or his jubilee, the day when we say, it is fulfilled in my life. The Messiah has come. Maybe there are others who need to be a part of this church. They will declare the word of the prophet fulfilled in the person of the Christ. And in his name we pray, amen.